MySafeLA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. You're listening to a MySafeLA Fire and Life Safety Podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Todd Lights, the public information officer for MySafeLA. This is another in our series of special earthquake-related MySafeLA Fire and Life Safety Podcasts. And I'm honored today to be joined by Jill Barnes, who's the Coordinator for Disaster Services and Emergency Preparedness for the Los Angeles Unified School District. Thanks for joining us today, Jill. Thanks for having me here. So the district is huge. It's far-flung. There are hundreds of thousands of kids. How many, how many kids are we talking about, and roughly how much square mileage are, are, are you overseeing to make sure everybody stays safe while at school? Okay. Well, we have a lot of students in a lot of schools over a very wide range of area. We have about 710 square miles in the district. It goes all the way, I think the furthest south is San Pedro, all the way west um, to the Marina, Marina del Rey, east to Bell, might be the furthest east, somewhere out that way, Southgate, those areas, and all the way north up to Silmar. And we have about 650,000 students in our K-12 programs. We have about another 400,000 students in evening programs. Most of them are adult school students, and then some of them are high school students doing credit recoveries if they can graduate. We also have 100 preschools, which a lot of people don't realize, and we even have a couple of infant centers. And we have a couple of overnight programs, so we're pretty comprehensive. And we've had some uh, recent earthquakes here in Southern California that have preparedness and, and people thinking about what what should I do? What what would I do if it was a more damaging one? Today we're talking about what should parents know if an earthquake were to strike while their kids are at school. Um, how should parents feel about uh, the safety of their children if, perchance, a significant earthquake were to hit during the school day or while their children were at a school facility? Well, I think the first thing that I would emphasize is don't worry. We have prepared for earthquakes and other disasters. We have training. We have drills. um, We have a lot of things in place. We have supplies at the schools. And people don't necessarily realize that our school buildings are built to do a good job of withstanding earthquakes. We have the Field Act in California, which was enacted in 1933, and it specifies that public K-12 California school buildings are built to a higher construction standard and inspected more frequently than any other buildings in the state. So what that means is, in a significant quake, our school buildings are less likely to fall down than some of our other buildings. Well, than all of our other buildings, actually. So what that means is that we're more worried about contents damage, which is why we practice drop, cover, and hold on, and then after the shaking stops, we evacuate out to the fields, because we do want to make sure that our buildings are safe and will be evaluated before we have the, the, the students go back in. Um, but we have put in a lot of protective measures at the schools. And I noticed that you also have a pamphlet that you uh, send out to the administrators at the school sites on how to store things and, and, and what, what could fall down in an earthquake and what could, be, um, what could be a problem. Talk a little bit about that program and what kind of response that you've been getting from, from the school sites about how to properly set up the school so that it doesn't all collapse on people. Yeah. Not the building, but the contents. Exactly. We've got a couple of things in place. We do have, uh, we have an Office of Environmental Health and Safety that does regular school site inspections to to check on all kinds of safety conditions. And uh, one of the things that they do check when they go out is they do check for earthquake, actually they check the supplies and they check for 
things like um, straps in place at the classrooms uh, to keep furniture from falling over and things like that. We have reference guides that we publish so the schools know, have some protocols to follow in terms of their preparedness things. It tells them how much water they should have on hand, how they should treat it, when it should be cycled out, things of that nature. Um, we have a lot of training for the faculty and, and staff, and then we also have just a, a little kind of cheat sheet to some common things that we see in classrooms um, that could be handled a little bit differently so that we can give them some guidance on how to make sure that everything is safe when we ha do have that earthquake. We try to mitigate what we can. We, don't want, we, want, we want the impact at a school site to be as low and as light as possible. So um, having the responsibility of, of hundreds if, you know, or more children uh, who may be at the school site after a significant earthquake for hours or perhaps days, what is the school cached, uh, kept on hand to make sure that everybody's needs can be met? We have a lot of supplies on hand. We have three days of water for every single person on campus, just in case. Because in a disaster, especially if you look at an earthquake, which where we have a lot of infrastructure damage that's going to impact even how well the first responders can get around, but it's also going to impact how easily students' parents are able to get to school. We do expect to be able to have students at school for quite an extended period of time. So we have three days' worth of water for every person on campus, students and staff. We have extra food on campus. We have search and rescue supplies. We have a search and rescue team. We have triage and first aid supplies. We have temporary toileting stations that we can set up. We have a variety of things that we've put in place, and we have them all housed in a special container that's kept outside the school building so that if the school building's damaged, we still don't have to go inside even just to get our, our protective equipment. Excellent. And you mentioned before um, when we were talking uh, off the record that um, every school district employee is also a disaster response worker. Talk about that That's because, right. you know, we all think of our teachers, uh, you know, they're not only great teachers, but they're also trained and ready in the event of just about anything, right? Yeah, because uh, California has designated everybody who works for a school district as any public employee, which includes school district employees, as a disaster service worker. So what that means is if there is a disaster while an employee is at work, that employee does not get to go home. So they will be staying at the school sites, caring for the children. Now, the great thing is school site people care for children every day. It's what we do. We take care of kids every single day. What's different in a disaster is we just take care of different needs. So our school staff is already kind of, in a way, halfway there because they're already used to caring for kids. It's just a matter of switching some of the things out and caring for kids in different ways. But we do have training in place. We, what we decide in a disaster is we assume that we're going to have to weather that disaster with just the staff that we have on hand. So we've decided to try to take a very internal approach. It's not that we don't want the first responders to, to get there, but we want to make sure that we're able to take care of all the children's needs without them if we have to. So internally, within that school staff, we have people who are designated to do search and rescue to look for people to save. We have people to do triage and first aid. We have people to take care of request and reunion, which is matching up the students and parents so that the, the students can go home with the parents. We have uh, just about people that are looking at the feeding and caring needs of the students. 
We have all kinds of things. Just about everybody on campus has a job, and they're all designated out ahead of time. We have safe school plans in our school districts, and our safe school plans are extensive. We Ours is actually three volumes because it's so big we can't put everything in there. Volume one is all the preventive and mitigation things. Anything that, that a school site does that creates that safe and healthy atmosphere for better learning goes into our volume one. Volume two is all the preparedness and response things. What could we do about an emergency and how are we going to respond to it when something happens? And that's where it's designated who's doing what job in an emergency, which overall kinds of emergency actions that we take. And it has procedures for 20 different types of emergencies in there. And then volume three is our recovery volume. And that's talking about an intervention. And that's talking about when something does happen. Okay, now that it's over, how do we get back to normal? What can we do to support the needs of our students and their families to get everyone back to through, through a healing process? A lot of it has to do with mental health, to make sure that everybody's ready to get back to the business as usual, which, of course, is the education of our students. Excellent. So as you can hear, the school district has done its part. Uh, it's taking its responsibility for your children's safety very seriously. So folks, parents, what are you doing? And we want to know, uh, we want you to know uh, what you should do in the event of an earthquake. So, Jill, let's talk about that a little bit. What, what courses of action can parents take to make sure before a quake happens that they do the right thing for their kids and to deal with the school in the event of a, of a significant quake? Uh, you mentioned the uh, request and reunion gate. Yes. That's pretty important, isn't it? So a couple of things that parents can do ahead of time is one, always make sure that all of your contact information is kept completely updated at the school. Because when a disaster does happen, we're going to try to reach out by calling, calling and texting every single number that we have on hand in a disaster. We don't do that for everything. I know you guys get a lot of calls, but they don't all go to all of your numbers, but we have an emergency one that will. So we want to make sure that all of your numbers are always kept updated so that we can get a um, message out to you to tell you what conditions are like at the school. Um, if you know the condition of the school, maybe that will help you feel a little less worried about what's going on. Um, something else that you need to be thinking about ahead of time is the next time that you're at your child's school, whether you're dropping them off for school or perhaps you're there for parent conferences or something, take a look and see where the request and reunion gate signs are. The request gate in an emergency is where you're going to go to ask for your child uh, to be returned to you. And there's a bit of a process there because we're going to be asking for ID. We're going to be checking that you are on the emergency card, which is something else that always needs to be kept updated, who can pick up those children. And then the reunion gate, which is in a separate location so we can kind of do a little bit of crowd control. The reunion gate is where you would go to pick up your child. So it's good to know those things ahead of time, especially if you think in a disaster. Uh, you might have to park several blocks away from the school. You might be coming from a different direction. So this way, you'll know exactly where to go. It's not going to be the front the, the front gate of the school as you usually go to in most cases. So those are the things that I would put in place ahead of time. Some of the things to think about during a disaster. Once something has happened, when an earthquake has, has struck, of course your first thought is going to go to your children. Mine does too. Mine goes to my, my children. However... Before you start worrying about what's going on, think about a couple of things before you decide to hop in the car and get right over there. One, if you're not living, if you're not in the neighborhood right then and there, can you get there? 
If you're working or you live a long way from where your child attends school, do a little bit of research, listen to the radio, find out what roads are available and open, because you could just end up getting stuck on a road somewhere and not able to go anywhere at all, which isn't really going to be very helpful. It's just going to add to the load on the roads. So checking and making sure that your route is clear. If your intention is to check your child out of school and take them home with you, before you respond to the school, go by your home first and make sure that your home is okay. Especially with the schools being built to higher construction standards, your school may be your home may be damaged even if the school is not. And if that's the case, then you might need to do a little planning before you pick up your children to determine what your course of action is going to be. So that's it's easiest to have that planned out ahead of time. When you do get to the school, please be patient and expect to be waiting a little bit because it does take a little bit of time to match up the kids properly with their parents. Um, we need to do that on a one-by-one -one basis. We might have several people working it, but you're still matching up an individual parent with an individual child, and that's a process that takes a little bit of time. So just please be patient because we do need to make sure that we're sending home the right ch children with the right parents. We have to be aware of all of the aspects of safety when it comes to our students. What's the policy on, on, on whom to release the children to? Um, does it have to be a family member? If, if, is it somebody who's been, you know, vetted on the, on the emergency documentation? Um, how, how, how does that work, and how would it work in, in, a, in a big disaster? It's something, it, what we do, it, it really in a way it isn't any different than our everyday procedures because it does have to be somebody who is listed on that emergency card, and you can list whoever you like. Most people list themselves and maybe another close family member, but think a little more deeply than that and think if there are a couple of extra people that you could designate. If you're not available, if you work 30 miles away, it may take you an awfully long time to get across town after an earthquake to pick up your child. Is there somebody in the neighborhood? Is there another relative? Or maybe Is a nanny A nanny, something? a neighbor, anybody that you would trust to pick up your kids and take them home should be on that emergency card. Even if you have to ask for a second card to put all the names down, the more the better. Because in an, in an emergency, it gives us more people that we can contact and more people that we can uh, more children that we can make sure are, get, are getting sent home and, and taken care of. And indeed, you know, the, the school, as Jill mentioned, might be a much safer location for your children than your home might be at that moment. Uh, so that's something to consider, as you mentioned. Also, um, what, what's the policy for community members or, or neighbors of the school who might want to seek shelter in the school because they figure okay, well, you've got supplies, you've got food and water, right. and you've got medical care. Um, how, how's the district going to deal with that potential deluge of people coming in from right. the neighborhood and wanting to get within the gates? And there's a couple of issues there. One is, is that the supplies that we have laid in at our school sites are for the students. It would be great if people realized that we want to make sure that we're taking care of our, of our children and our students in our communities, and that's what those supplies are there for. The other thing to keep in mind is that some people tend to think that there's that every school automatically becomes a public disaster shelter in an emergency, but actually there's quite a process that goes on. The first thing the person, if, if uh, we want to stand up any public shelters, that's not a task that the school district takes on. Those shelters are operated by the American Red Cross. They work with us, and we work with all the city agencies and county agencies. So the first thing we do is when we know we need shelters, they call me. And we take a look at which schools we have, 
which schools don't have damage because, of course, we're only going to be sending standing up public shelters at places that we've been able to evaluate already and know are safe to occupy. We have to look at are there students on that campus because if there are students on that campus, we have to look at the load of that campus. Can we separate those out? Because when you have a public shelter operating at a school, it cannot the people in the shelter cannot have any contact with the students because, again, we're responsible for all aspects of those children's safety. And that includes everything else, so in, including contact. Something else related to that is a lot of people in the community um, think that it would be that, that what they wouldn't, but people want to help in a disaster, which is a, one of the greatest things about human nature. The best way to help at a school site during a disaster is you can help from outside the school gates, assisting with that request and reunion process. Because the lines can get long, it's great to have some community members who they probably know their neighbors, they may speak the languages that are common in the neighborhood. They can work with the school stuff on the other side of the fence, but they can kind of keep things calm, they can keep things orderly, they can keep some vetted information kind of rolling out to those people so that people kind of have a better understanding of what's going on and why it's taking a little bit of, of time. But it's going to be from outside the fence because, again, we have to make sure that we're protecting our students' uh, safety and we have to vet the people through a process that we have at the district uh, that come in contact with our students. So before we give some parents some assignments, some homework to do to make sure that that, uh, we parents are holding up our end of the bargain because from what you're telling me, it sure seems like the school district is – uh, let's talk about some of the resources that you have uh, online and, and elsewhere for parents in most people's languages as well that yeah. are spoken here in Los Angeles. Talk about that a little bit. One of the best resources I think we have is we've got a really great website, parentemergencyinformation.lusd.net. It's kind of a long name, but it was the only one I could come up with. Let's see if I got that. Parent emergency information.lausd.net. Correct. All right. And... Strangely enough, that's a website where we have emergency information for parents. Uh, and we've got information on specific emergencies and how we deal with them at school sites. There's a page on earthquakes and tsunamis and lockdowns and public health disasters and all kinds of things. There's a page on communications with the school. There's a page on how the district prepares for emergencies. There's several different aspects of, of, uh, of safety and, and disaster preparedness that we address on that page. There's a whole page of resources, some of which have to do with school districts, but a lot of them are just uh, links for, for families to have the to useful things that they would need to know about in terms of an emergency for their own use. One of the things that that website does is it can generate a little card that you can print out and keep with you on which you can actually write in the phone numbers of the school, you can write in the location, you could write in where the request and reunion gates are and kind of keep that with you so that you've got that information with you when it happens. The entire website is not only in English, but the whole website has been translated into Spanish, Korean, Chinese, and Armenian so that we can serve the needs of our parents and other community members. What do folks need to do? You mentioned that they should know where the request and the reunion gate and be aware of the very the various processes that, that it would take to get your children. Map out a uh, route from perhaps where you work where you might be 
um, elsewhere away from the school in the in the event of an earthquake. Maybe map out a secondary route as well. Definitely, yeah. Um, but there's some information that the parents should give uh, to the school to make sure that that's up to date. You mentioned the phone numbers of, mm-hmm. of various people who are authorized. But you also want uh, the parents to let you know any special needs their kids might have. Talk about that Correct. a little bit. If you have a child that has that takes medication, has a disability, or any other kind of special need, have a conversation with the school about how those needs can be supported in a disaster. And do what you can to be upfront with the school about what those needs are and what caring for them might be. Because we're talking about, in a disaster, it's going to include hours when the student usually isn't there. Take, for example, medication. If a student takes a medication once a day and they take it at night, say, before they go to bed, the school may not know because it's not something that's done at school. However, if an emergency, say that earthquake happens at 3 o'clock right before dismissal, that child could still be there at 9 o'clock when it's bedtime. And what's going to, what, what will, so you want to have those conversations with the school about the needs of the students, supporting them, what can be put in place in terms of contingency measures, taking a look at how you can also come to pick up your student, especially if you don't have transportation of your own. Um, Who else can come and either pick up the child for you or give you a ride or what other avenues are open to you in terms of being able to come and and pick up the student? But just making sure that everybody knows at the school site about all of your students' needs and what might impact them during those times when they're not usually at school. In an earthquake, we drop cover and hold on until the shaking stops, um, which of course we practice at schools. We do a lot of earthquake drills. We do a lot of fire drills. We do a lot of emergency drilling. And if you ask your child, I'll bet you they can show you. They'll, they'll be happy to show you what drop cover and hold on looks like. Do it at the dinner table. Let's do it right now. Drop cover and hold on. So, you know, and, and it's so funny, in, in the wake of these recent earthquakes, I was watching a lot of the news coverage of it, and I was kind of shocked and disappointed at how many people that the reporter would interview, and they would say, oh, well, I, you know, I just I just ran outside, or, mm-hmm. you know, doing the exact wrong thing that we should be doing and kind of laughing about it. And also some of the ridicule that one of uh, our local news anchors was subjected that. to in kind of a good-natured way when he actually ducked, covered, and held on uh, when the shaking was happening. He did the exact right thing, and people kind of made fun of him. So don't be embarrassed. you got to know what you're going to do when before the shaking starts, during, and after. And you can be confident that the Los Angeles Unified School District, because of people like Jill Barnes, who's the Disaster Services Coordinator here, uh, have thought about just about every contingency. So you need to think, too, parents. Jill, thank you so much for, uh, for taking time to talk to me today. And um, we really appreciate it. We hope to speak to you again on another of our My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcasts. See you next time. Thank you. You've been listening to a My Safe LA Fire and Life Safety podcast. My Safe LA is the public education partner of the Los Angeles Fire Department. Visit us at mysafela.org and lafd.org.